arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Phil Curran, who has annoyed Jones throughout the book, finally gets his comeuppance. And then there's more mayhem at Jones' house that goes completely out of control. Let's begin right now, Episode 3 of Johnny's Back in Town. Johnny's Back in Town, Chapter 7. Jones' Office, Hamilton Fletcher Gymnasium, Hamilton College, Hamilton, New Hampshire. January 11th, 12.14 p.m. Phil Curran had left a distressing voicemail in Jones's office, directing Jones to Fletcher Hill to meet with the trustees at 1 p.m. Jones considered the meeting an opportunity to disparage Phil, but he worried about Phil using some trick to suspend him and temporarily place Lark Larson as coach. Jones estimated PJ would not arrive in Hamilton for several hours, so he placed a call to PJ's cell, hoping to leave a voicemail. Matthias, thought I'd get your voicemail. I'm on a private plane. My phone is hooked in. I was briefed by Kevin Phillips about an hour ago. Looks like a professional job. And this Carrera is a dangerous liability. Well put. Did Kevin mention that he may have fired at Franny and myself last night? Are you alright? Why? Are you sure it was him? Red pickup truck. Circumstantial evidence says it was Pereira. You have a break coming up. Maybe you and Franny should take a few days away somewhere. There's more, PJ. I was in Boston with Coco Saturday morning. We met with Charlie DePiro. Chet was a witness to a mob hit years ago at the X-Ray Club in Dedham, Massachusetts. Coco's father, Johnny Stefani, was framed for murdering a local guy who was the brother-in-law of Norm Pelletier. Did Johnny shoot Chet? asked PJ. No, I don't think so. But he was at the Bolorama when Chet was hit. So was Pereira. Johnny may still be in the Prince William area. I would highly recommend you guys getting out of town for a while. I hear you. Then I have Phil Curran threatening to have me removed and he scheduled a trustee meeting this afternoon at 1 o'clock. He has the balls to do that when I'm not there. Let Phil go to his meeting. I'll destroy the SOP. Listen. I'm calling up to Houghton Prep at Moose Mills. Isn't that where Phil worked before he came to Hamilton? Exactly. I'll see if I can set up a meeting for you up there. You're the guy who can find out what Phil is all about. In the meantime, I'll have my security man, Victor, check his other employment. Wasn't this checked before he got here? Hamilton did a favor for one of his college cronies. Got it. I'll see you shortly. Thank you. Woozy walked into Jones's office. Hey, coach. Jones shook the thoughts from his head. Sorry, Woos. Hey, we're all upset about Chet. I was just gonna say that Murph looked good last night. I don't like the way Murph hogs the ball, at the, said Jones at the computer monitor in his office. 48%. Coach, he scored 38 points, said Woozy, looking out the window. That's great against Hudson. Play better teams like St. Pat's and we'll lose games. We'll work on passing the ball next week. Your Jeep in the shop? Jones looked up at his graying assistant coach. Yeah, the Jeep is in the shop. Ralphie will take care of it. 
With Murph, it's a matter of passing the ball and running plays. He'll still get a high point total. It will be done, Herr Commandant. Disagree? No, sir. We'll resume practice on Saturday. Oh, you had a call from Arnie Dewars. Arnie? He was fuming about you calling weights and measures and Prince William about his gas station, that yo-yo gas. I never called anyone woos. I'll talk to him when I get around to it. And Lark called. Still fighting his hangover? Asked Jones, shutting off the monitor. He was looking for his door prize. Chet McLaughlin is shot, and Lark wants a door prize. What's Chet's status? Improving slightly. By the way, Phil Curran has been raising hell about those tickets. Watch out, Woos. Phil has a spy network around the college, and I'm looking forward to the break. He was over here searching for that ticket roll. I brought him home last night and put the roll in my own trash. Good man, Woosie. I don't need Phil to be armed with evidence. I'm headed to Fletcher Hill for a meeting with the trustees. Apparently, apparently Phil is trying to railroad me out. I don't think he realizes what that would do. College would go wild. Might be worth it to see that. Phil Curran is walking a fine line. Good luck, Matthias, said Woozy. I'll need it. Jones answered a call that came in as he drove Franny's white Subaru north of town toward Fletcher Hill. Hello, Coach. This is Nora LaVoy. I'm Claire's sister. Nora, I'm sorry about Chet, said Jones. Thank you. Claire wanted me to call you. Wanda has returned from Minnesota. She understands what's happened. And this is important. Wanda insists that Mark Bearer must have shot her dad. Why does she think that? asked Jones. Last week he threatened to attack Chet. He did? asked Jones, pulling fully off the road. Wanda flipped out and told him not to come around anymore, and that's when Chet got fully involved. Jones thought about the shots fired at the jeep last night. Did he say he would shoot Chet? No, Pereira said he'd get Chet. You need to tell this to Lieutenant Phillips, Nora. He'll insist that Wander had police protection. Oh, she's had that for a while. We're heading to Prince William Medical now. Thank you, Coach. I just hope Chet makes it. I do, too. Jones drove along Woozy's fence overlooking the frozen fields in front of the house with the farmer's porch. He was confused as to why Wander had already had protection. He dialed Kevin Phillips' cell phone. Matthias. Kevin, I just talked to Claire's sister. Wanda McLaughlin is over the hospital. Do you know who Chet's security people are? Local firm in Prince William. Pereira threatened to attack Chet last week. We know that. We're after Pereira, Matthias. The whole East Coast is looking for this guy. I just don't see him planning out that elevator deal, said Jones. Nor do I, said Phillips. Where's Bum Bumpus and his wife? He had the key to the storage room. I haven't seen him since he brought us to Hamilton in his death trap station wagon. I agree, the key got from Bum Bumpus's keychain to the assassin. Maybe from Pereira? That doesn't mean Bum didn't know what was really going on. His story about the earbuds is weird. I have people here. I have to go. Bye, Kevin. Jones debated whether to answer another call coming in, but it was from George Strickland. George. No, this is Wendell. George just ran onto the ice at Long Pond at the other end of the Pequonicut. Why would he do that, Wendell? Asked Jones as he waited at the bottom of Fletcher Drive. 
George told Bum he was bringing him in to talk to Kevin Phillips. Bum told him to shove it and jumped in his station wagon. We chased him up 32 and onto Beaver Dam Road. Then Bum went off the road onto Long Pond. With a car? Asked Jones. That ice won't support a vehicle. Yeah. Kiss him goodbye. No, George is yelling at him. He spun that car completely around on the ice and now he's racing across the pond. Are you kidding me? Shouted Jones. Whoa, he just went airborne onto the shore. Is there a road over there? Dirt road. I used to bring Peggy up there. We were all alone. Wendell, where does the road lead to? Asked Jones. The old airport. I hear George calling Newtown PD. Keep me informed. I got my own problems here. Jones tried to digest Bum driving his station wagon on the ice. He started up Fletcher Drive. As he drove Franny's outback on the winding road on Fletcher Hill, Jones feared that Pereira would go after Wanda. At the top, Phil Curran's pale green two-seater called a Zero was parked next to the front walk of the Fletcher estate. In the garage was PJ's Jaguar and his wife Joni's Audi, and in the third bay was a spare black Porsche SUV. But he saw no other cars. Where were the trustees? Jones knew as he got out of the car, Phil Curran had roused the trustees to get him fired. Once under the portico, he pressed the doorbell. Half a minute later, the fallow-faced Hollings broke into a smile when he opened the heavy panel door. Matthias, nice to see you. Hollings, allow me to accompany you to the new conference room. I warned you that the insufferable Phil Curran is here. I saw the car. Jones stepped inside. PJ had designed and built a new office off the ballroom, and Hamilton Fletcher's old office overlooking the pool had been turned into a small drawing room. Jones entered the walnut-paneled high office ceiling with two wall bookcases. They had replaced the parquet floor with red plush carpet. Jones studied the photos of Joni and the children. May I get you a drink, sir? Hot chocolate on this cold day? You know, Hollings, that would be perfect. Jones crossed the thick oriental runner along the extended front window. Before he could get to the window, the wide-eyed Phil Curran in a blue vest and baggy gray pants popped out from behind the curtain. What's your problem, Phil? I'm in no mood for your lip, Jones. Something is amiss. They were supposed to be here 15 minutes ago. Let me ask you, why are you sticking your nose into the McLaughlin shooting? Mind your own business, Phil. Humanity is my business. Okay, Jacob Marley. Oh, is he a professor? Forget it. Jones took deliberate steps toward Phil and pointed. And I don't appreciate you hassling my assistant coach. Get over it, snapped Phil. Listen, you loser, said Jones. Maybe if you put more time into your job. I don't tolerate slackers. Jones could feel his face flush. Trustees will not be arriving, PJ announced from the hall. He stood in his white turtleneck and cockies. PJ, you're not supposed to be here, whined the petulant Phil. PJ produced his signature smile. <laughs> That's what you figured, wasn't it, Curran? Well, uh, well, uh, right, well, well, well. Jones slightly grinned. He admired PJ's cunning. I was uh, supposed to meet with the trustees. Everyone confirmed they'd be here. Is that right? I'll have you know, and my lawyer can verify that this estate is not part of Hamilton College. You have no authority to be trespassing. Jones is a slacker. I heard you berating Coach Jones. 
You don't talk to the coach like that. He's the one not doing his job. PJ crossed the room and stood directly in front of Phil. Coach has an extraordinary record, and I won't put up with your penny-ante bullshit, Karn. You got it? What are you doing here? I live here, jackass. But, but, no buts. Back off harassing Matthias. Jones thought that tone was right out of the late Hamilton Fletcher's playbook. Phil seemed surprised. You want me to raise money. Uh, well, what am I supposed to do? Your job. And listen to me and listen good. You're not my go-between for the local news. Even if it involves something as horrendous as this shooting. I know what you're doing, you clown. Making me dependent on you. You and your spy network. Now get the hell out of here before I send you back to Houghton Prep. I thought by having a network of reporters on campus, you'd be informed. Spies. I have my own contacts. Or I wouldn't be as successful as I am, you miserable little gnat. I didn't hire you. Anyone aligned with your so-called spy network will be fired. Got it? PJ, although shorter than Phil, stepped forward. His tightened face and exposed teeth resembled a disgruntled lion. Now get the hell off my property. Phil pouted like a child and stormed out of the study without another word. Jones watched him and then turned to the shorter PJ. I hate that man. PJ smiled. I hate him too. Hopefully the bastard will quit. You caught him off guard, PJ. As you know, I commandeered a private jet out of LAX. We were already at Prince William Airport when you and I talked. Always good to keep your opponent off guard. Absolutely. I just talked to John Raskin at Prince William Medical. Chet is in and out of consciousness. Frankly, it doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. I think Chet McLaughlin is very competent. I've looked at the work he's done for me, detailed and accurate. I don't like inflated scenarios of bullshit. Wanda, his daughter, cheers at all the games with her buddies. Jones watched Phil talking on his phone near his little car outside the window. Who the hell does Phil think he is? PJ turned to the window. A man who has clearly overreached his agenda. I'll have a further talk with Fabulous Phil. Jones grinned. Fabulous Phil? Name from high school. His cursory background check indicates he's a genius at fundraising. His greatest asset is his deficit. His big mouth. His mouth is a problem. Phil doesn't like you, Matthias. Well, I consider that a badge of honor. What did you have Chet doing? PJ looked at Jones for a few seconds. I'm going to meet with Bentley because once Pacheco knows I'm back, he'll ask the same question. Just keep what I have to say right now under your hat. Jones nodded as Phil turned his car quickly and went backward down the drive. Incredible. Phil doesn't like you because you challenged him. He says you're hiding his tickets to the gala. No, those tickets are in the dumpster. PJ tilted his head back and had a good laugh. Good for you, Matthias. If he gives you any more lip, you just call me. He moved over to his glossy wood desk and lifted the newspaper. I called the Gazette. They wrote that article as if Hamilton's charity bowling caused the shooting. We've had it rewritten by Tom McGill and the original retracted. That was quick. I called from the plane. It's amazing what a threatened lawsuit and social media campaign can do. Bentley's already drawn the preliminary papers up. LG is good. 
P.J. leaned forward with a befuddled look. Amazing, Bentley could have been down in New York. He turned down numerous offers because he likes Hamilton. True. To answer your original question, Chet was auditing every department in the college. All by himself? Correct. That way we have no scuttlebutt. Chet began about a month ago. Phil actually raised a lot of money, according to Chet. Did he find anything askew? Asked Jones. I've only been here three months. Nigel announced his retirement last summer. Hamilton's always been aware of making a buck, but he found Phil through his Princeton chum, Harry Medcalf. He went on Harry's say-so. I understand that. Jones smelled the hot chocolate before Hollings entered the room. Hollings arrived with the silver tray and tall glass mug of steaming chocolate with whipped cream floating on the top. Sir, thank you, Hollings, said Jones, lifting the warm mug to his hands. Now, the shooting, 22 caliber and hollow point, and the police report said you heard two guns. That's why it's so confusing. P.J. remained on the edge of his desk. Why do you say that, coach? I asked myself, why not just kill him? And what did yourself tell you? Smiled P.J. They clearly wanted us to get lost in a maze. Of course, I missed that. How come you didn't follow in your father's footsteps? I like coaching sports. Right answer. In the past 24 hours, I've double-checked Chet's background. He's clean as a whistle, said P.J. I had Chet auditing all the departments in the school. There's been a lag of accountability since Hamilton's death. That would keep me awake at night, said Jones. P.J. pointed at Jones. I've had some of my best thinking at 3 a.m. Jones savored the hot chocolate in his mouth. This is good. Northern South America, processed perfectly. Jones drank some more of the hot chocolate. One more thing. P.J. rounded the desk and sat down. Sure. Yo-yo gas. I still have franchises available, Matthias. Do you have any idea what Arnie Dewars has done to the gas on Prince William Boulevard? Jones continued to sip the hot chocolate. Selling it, I hope, said P.J., glancing at the papers. Less of it than you think. I know of two customers that have had engine problems after filling up. P.J.'s face tightened with a heightened intensity. What are you saying? Dewars is watering down the gas? That's exactly what I'm saying. He could one man destroy your franchises, said Jones. This is disturbing news, he said, grabbing the landline. Victor, nothing new in McLaughlin. It's about the yo-yo gas franchise on Prince William Boulevard. Find out if that bonehead Dewars has been tampering with the fuel. Right. No, no, right. Don't confront him. No, don't confront him. Just get me the information. I know Coco called weights and measures in Prince William. Also, I can talk to Mayor Picotta, said PJ. Jones's phone rang. He glanced at PJ. Go ahead, take it. Jones nodded. Coco. Jonesy, we just got off the phone with Charlie. Jones had put the hot chocolate to his lips. What did he say? Listen, keep this to yourself. Even the cops don't know this. My old man did come back here 12 days ago. No way. Charlie says he and Clyde met up with Wysocki and Revere. Wysocki must have driven them to New Hampshire the day before McLaughlin was hit. Wysocki is what you might call a uh, utility man. How reliable is this? Johnson, come on, don't be a nudge. 
Winky nailed the Escalade's license plate on Washburn. That's incriminating information. Huh, you think? Listen, there's more. Rita ain't saying it, but something's up. I think my old man is seeing my mother. I thought she hated him for what he did. You don't get it. She does hate him, but he's the love of her life. You figure it out. So what's Charlie gonna do? asked Jones. I have no idea. You and PJ? I am. Put him on the horn. PJ pointed at the Bluetooth in his ear. I heard it. Jones set the phone on speaker. Hello, Coco. Matthias has told me about Doers. Doers is a bumbling chiseler. Your father, Johnny Stefani, did he order McLaughlin to be shot? I think he did. Why? Gut feeling. PJ, aware of the X-ray murders, raised his brows. I've got my ear to the ground. I'll call you when I have something definitive on Yo-Yo. I'll talk to you. Coco hung up and Jones finished his hot chocolate. Don't worry, Matthias. I'll make sure Jim Salinas gets you another hot chocolate to go. They won't have anything this good. Where do you think I found out about the South American beans? The chateau had a series of vertical windows composed of diamond grids and overlooking some of the small shops and foot traffic at the retail section of Prince William. The spectacular brass ring chandeliers provided a controlled background throughout the restaurant. More brass sconces with diamond glass were spaced along the intricate and somewhat ornate wallpaper. The rug, imported from Southeast Asia, had a thick woven green pile. Jones turned to PJ across the raised table. I knew Murphy would be dynamite, said PJ, and a local Prince William kid to boot. Prince William players get a discount at the Chateau, said the tuxedo Jim Salinas, smiling. He had another good game, that's for sure, said Jones. Say, Jim, would you be so kind here as to get the coach a cup of Chateau hot chocolate? Asked PJ. I test? Asked Jim. Brandy? Sure. Make it two, Jim, said PJ. He turned to Jones. Matthias, I appreciate you giving me the complete truth about Johnny Stefani's background. Truth brings trust. I've always had that arrangement with my players. I have no objection, as Hamilton did, to being funded by interests in Boston. You mean Charlie DePiro? Right. If he wants to invest his money in Hamilton College, so be it. Understood. PJ's face tightened. I'm stopping by Prince William Medical. Maybe, maybe Chet will rally. It was a massive loss of blood, and you heard two shots. Different sounds, one right after the other. Correct. Coco and I believe what I told you at LAX. Shots came from a professional behind the shoe racks, using a sliding piece of wood where the killer could easily kill Chet, if he was good. And you found that shaft and set up before the police. We did. Can you summarize that for me in writing? I have an encrypted email system. You need to be in the network. I have instructions I'll send to you later. PJ stroked his chin. What about that idiot Driscoll, the scar-faced guy that supposedly Johnny Stefani in the men's room? Well, Bum Bumpus and his wife Trixie were there too, playing craps, and they saw the scar-faced guy and another guy in a suit. I think Bum knew something was about to happen, but he just didn't know what. Why does the Mafia wear suits? It's a tradition, said Jones, smiling. If I were in the Mafia, I'd wear a turtleneck and khakis. Jones thought about that for a second and produced a half-hearted laugh. Johnny Stefani might be in the area. Victor will get me a current photo of Stefani by tonight. 
We'll move around the cops. The college will take a big hit if there's a connection to organized crime and a professor at the college. Absolutely, said Jones, wondering about PJ's security number. Herbert Lane and his overstuffed wife, with a huge quaff of gray hair, strolled into the main dining room. Herbert's booming voice rose above the brunch crowd chatter. His toupee tilted to the right. Over this way, Henrietta. Just sit down. We'll have brunch in a moment. PJ turned. That's Herbert Lane. You haven't met him? asked Jones. I haven't had the privilege of meeting his majesty. I can introduce you, PJ. Oh, please do. Jones stood and motioned Lane to the table. Lane swished his hand through the air and stared across the room. What kind of a buffoon is this guy? questioned PJ. Is there more than one? asked Jones as Jim Salinas personally delivered the glass mugs full of steaming hot chocolate and brandy. Ah, nectar of the gods, said PJ. The gods never had it so good, said Jim. Excuse me, Jim, could you ask Herbert if he would join us for a second? Jim produced his ready smile. Be right back. I've heard stories that Lane is pompous, said PJ. We can run somebody else against him. Across the dining room, Jim talked with Herbert and his wife. Herbert became animated and fought to extricate himself from the chair. Pouting, he carried his white linen table napkin across the chateau as Jim shrugged his shoulders. See here, Jones, he barked. Haven't you got better things to do than harass my wife on Sunday morning? What do you have to do with anything? He turned to Jones. And I will warn you once again to keep your grubby paws off my investigation. I don't need amateurs muddling up the waters, especially with fingerprints. What about fingerprints? asked Jones. Do you have results? Delay that last statement, said Lane. I need a drink. What you need is a muzzle, said PJ, and Lane's head snapped to the right. Who the hell are you, shorty? Someone who can spot a bag of flatulence a mile away said PJ, perfectly timing the remark. Jones broke into a laugh. Oh, gee. See here, buddy. Do you know who I am? Sure, you're the bag of flatulence. You shouldn't talk down to people who are trying to help. I don't need to be lectured by some... some nobody. Maybe I'll just invest some money in another candidate when you're up for re-election. I have large donors. Rag Lane, pounding the table and shaking the whipped cream and the hot chocolate. You have a large everything. I could have you thrown out, exclaimed Herbert, stomping like a little kid. Try it. I dare you, Lane, snapped PJ, standing up. Who are you? PJ stood and removed a card. PJ Fletcher, now get the hell out of here before your toupee falls off with the rest of your brains. Your, your PJ Fletcher? asked Lane. Well, let me give you an explanation for my behavior. It would appear, Lane, said PJ, as Jones held the hot chocolate glass over his smiling mouth, that there is no explanation. You want to help me? I'm at your beck and call. I'm sure you are, said PJ. Jones was stunned how quickly Lane became civil. I do believe that one of my franchise owners at Yo-Yo Gas is watering down the gas. Well, Henrietta and I just filled up over there. Or should I say Henrietta did? Jones snickered. You make your wife pump the gas, Herbert? Now, now, Jones. 
I want Dewey is prosecuted if he's guilty, said PJ. Whether he's guilty or not, we'll put him down. Haven't you ever heard that justice is blind, Herbert? Bellowed Henrietta. I'll get on it right away, PJ. A pleasure to meet you. Johnny's Back in Town, Chapter 8. Jones's Colonial, Hamilton Common, Hamilton, New Hampshire, January 11th, 2.33 p.m. Jones stood at his kitchen counter waiting for Kevin Phillips to come back on the cell phone line. With his backyard covered with snow, he wished today were six months from now. He propped his landline phone to his ear. Franny's excitement was evident about Jones making dinner and both would watch a movie later. No, the steak tips are cooking now, Franny. Matthias, it's 19 degrees out there. Fire doesn't need a summertime temperature, although I wish it was summer. Plus, I got the potato salad from Delmonico's. The only thing missing is the corn. Yeah, it's frozen, but it'll be smothered in butter. See you in about a half an hour. Jones hung up the phone. Outside the window, the winter shadows extended over the common snow. Lark swerved his long brown sedan around the corner and rumbled onto Jones's lawn before he skidded to a stop in front of the hedges. He emerged wearing a red stocking cap, gray ski jacket, and soft leather lumberjack boots. Flo Nightingale wore a jacket so bulky her little white stocking cap was barely visible. Flo, unsteady on the brick walk between the hedges, tiptoed behind Lark as he marched ahead. Jones rushed around to the back door. He quickly checked the steak tips on the stainless steel grill and then turned to Lark. Lark? Flo? said Jones, afraid Flo would fall. What about Flo? asked Lark. Jones moved forward and steadied Flo. Come on, hold her arm, Lark. I will not. Oh, brother, said Jones as he held on to Flo. She knows better than to challenge my actions and now she's going to pay the price. What are you talking about? Can you believe that she accused me of being drunk the other night? You were drunk, and in a public place. I told you, Lark. Don't push me, Flo. I was nearly shot dead, cried Lark. Why are you here? For the lawsuit, old boy, said Lark, as Jones helped Flo into the kitchen behind Lark. Ooh, something smells tasty. Jones pursed his lips. What lawsuit? I'm suing Coco and his business partners, Matthias. I will not put my life at risk because there's no security at the Bolarama. I would suggest that you don't tangle with Coco or his lawyers. I've faced diversity before. It was my second year at the helm, and we were up against Rocky Bashan, the basher. Listen, Lark, I'm having somebody over tonight said Jones, opening his eyes wide as Flo poured a large glass of water in her mouth and gargled. Oh, I love parties, said Lark. That's nice. Well, I'll catch you later, he said as Flo gargled again. Jones winced and Flo wiped her mouth with her coat sleeve. Don't you want to hear my murder theory? Some other time. Bum Bumpus is a murderer, said Flo. Right, Lark? What? asked Jones. Here's what happened said Lark, his big blue eyes lighting up behind his silver-rimmed glasses. He spread out his hands. Bum Bumpus did time. Excuse me, I have to turn the steak tips. Lark followed Jones out the back door into the cold and continued his theory. 
I say he got on his belly like a snake and shot like John Wayne from the side of the main desk. Outside, Jones lifted the grill. That makes no sense, Lark. Why would he shoot Chet McLaughlin? Oh, that's the key to the murder. Chet never paid for bowling at the Bolarama. Jones swished the smoke and turned the tips. I'll let Kevin Phillips know. Lark moved back in the house. Jones shook his head and then stepped inside. Both Lark and Flo were nibbling on the cookies. Good cookies, said Lark. We don't want to deplete your supply for the party, said Flo. I'm not having a party, said Jones, closing the door. I need something to wash down these chocolate chips, said Lark. There's the faucet, said Jones as he looked out the window. Bucky's little brown security car slid to a stop across Shore Road. Use my glass, Lark, said Flo. I will not use your glass, Flo. Why not, demanded Flo. Bucky, looking down, wore an orange security vest as he crossed Shore Road. A little blue compact swerved and almost hit him. Bucky made a weird gesture with his arm, bordering on lewd, and as Lark continued to argue with Flo, Jones stepped outside. Bucky, what do you want? Beard stubble covered his face. I need your help, Matthias. Now? Oh, yeah. Cops are after me. Now what did you do? Asked Jones as the steak tips smoked. I took a leak. Bucky, what are you talking about? At the bowling alley. Now they're after me. I don't get it. Kevin Phillips wants me to ID that guy with the scar. This guy ain't putting his life on the line. Let me guess. They want a composite sketch. Huh? Back at his car, a horn sounded. The grumpy-faced Evelyn Doers rolled down the window. Come on, Driscoll. I ain't got all night. Shut up, Evelyn. I'm busy. As Evelyn struggled to get out of the driver's door, Jones tapped Bucky's shoulder. Have a nice night, Bucky. Jones hurried over to the grill and grabbed the skewers and slid the steak tips onto the plate. Then he reloaded the skewers. How would you like a knuckle sandwich, Driscoll? yelled Evelyn in her yellow tank top. Her arms were huge. Whoopsie, slip of the tongue. Jones scurried across the patio and back up the steps. Lark and Flo stood with wine glasses in front of the living room entrance. Jones set the plate with the tips on the table. The new wine bottle, now half empty, sat on the counter. You better get more wine for the party, old boy, said Lark. That wine was for Franny and me, shouted Jones. And you might want to play some music. The back door opened and Bucky held his jaw. Ah, I need some ice. Are you kidding? Evelyn has a wicked right hook. Look in the freezer, said Jones, grabbing the wine bottle. Oh, thanks, Matthias. He waited for Bucky to open the freezer. Then he set the wine back on the shelf. Someone pounded on the front door. Now what? Jones moved down the hall. Cora, Jefferson, and Courtney were standing on the front steps. Cora crossed her arms on her chest with her pocketbook, looped over her arms. Jones quickly opened the door. Cora, what can I do for you? You tell Larson to move that junk box out of the way. Courtney can't get past his car. Mother, I can make it through there. <laughs> Your father always said that, right before he had his next accident. <laughs> She sniffed the air. Ah, smells like steak. Tips. Ah, I love tips, said Cora. So you invited Larson to your party, but forgot about us. 
Jones heard Arnie Dewis's voice back in the kitchen. He spoke into Jones's wall phone. Now we're heading north for the anniversary night. The Buckster, Muddy, and me. No, Bose. Lester Larson, me, and Muddy. Buckster was sowing his wild oats down in New York City back then. Hey, do it! shouted Cora Jefferson. Come on over, Bose. I'm always up for a party. Arnie hung up the phone after twice dropping the receiver on the counter. I heard doers, said Cora. He still hasn't paid me for that skit of road salt. She pushed Jones down the hallway to the kitchen. Hey, doers, you owe me 400 bucks. I don't owe you nothing, old lady. Little shame in the sand in every tank of those doers' trucks. <laughs> Checks in the mail, said Arnie. Checks in the mail. Mother will get her way, said Courtney. She always does. Courtney, just drive the truck through, said Jones, as Arnie and Mrs. Jefferson screamed at each other. You old bat, why don't you get out of here? Who are you calling an old bat? And defy mother, he asked. No way. Step inside, Courtney, said Jones, motioning him inside. Hey, Matthias, what kind of a party is this? Asked Arnie, looking down the hall. It's not... Where's your beer? asked Arnie. Arnie, let me tell you something. You're in big trouble because of that yo-yo gas. I can't help it if the transport truck has water in the mixture. Trucks are inspected, Arnie. You wait till you deal with the feds. I ain't worried. He turned. Hey, Muddy! Come on in. The water's fine. This is ridiculous. Jones rushed down the hall as if he were carrying the football. He ran into Bucky. Hey, watch where you're going shouted Bucky. Nobody invited you in here, Bucky. And by the way, Lieutenant Phillips wants to see you pronto. <laughs> pronto was the Lone Ranger's sidekick. The back door opened and the gruffy Bose and muscular Iron Man stepped into the crowded kitchen. Hey, Bose, 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 shouted Arnie. This is insane, said Jones. Wendell drove the blue and white cruiser along the common. Jones immediately headed out the front door. Wendell! Wendell, in his heavy jacket and policeman's hat, pointed at Jones as he crossed over toward the front yard and the cars. Matthias, do you have a permit for this? For what? asked Jones angrily. They all started showing up. Oh, sure. I'm going to have to write you up. Go ahead, Wendell. I'll appeal it. I don't need any lip. At that moment, Phil Curran parked his little zero near the front gate. Coatless, he ran over to Jones. Hamilton College employees don't need trouble with the law. Wendell looked up. Who the hell is this dingbat? Stooge, said Jones under his breath. Look, Mr. Stooge, said Wendell to Phil. Who are you calling Stooge, demanded Phil. That's your name, buddy. Now beat it before I bring you in. You wouldn't dare. Jones grinned, but he looked back at the front steps. Muddy Jacobs pulled the steak tips off the skewer with his teeth. Coco's vet zoomed around the common as he parked half on the common and half on the street. Wendell raised his voice as Phil moved nose to nose with the larger cop. Coco, in his leather coat, opened the front gate as Wendell spun Phil around. As Phil babbled about resisting arrest, Wendell placed the handcuffs around Phil's wrist. Wendell then walked the Dean of Students at Hamilton College back to the cruiser. You still is in there, Jonesy? asked Coco, looking at Bucky's car. Two flats. Winky finally gave Driscoll the treatment. 
He was and he left. He was planning some anniversary night with Muddy and Bucky. Yeah, anniversary when he landed on Earth. Coco looked to his right. What's wrong with Curran? Oh, it's a long story, said Jones. What are you doing here, Jonesy? You told me Franny and you were having a dinner and watching a movie. Well, that was the plan. I got this for doers, said Coco, taking out a folded piece of paper from his coat pocket. What is it? Affidavit, drawn up by Lane's office. All it says is that my vet began running bad after filling up at Yo-Yo Gas. You need to sign it as my witness. I'll sign that, said Jones, as Tom McGill peered over his picket fence. Thanks for the invite, Matthias. It's not a party, Tom. Anything more in the shooting? Cops are silent, said McGill, holding several copies of the Enterprise. Tom, could I use those papers? Sure. Hey, the cops always clam up when they get something, said Coco. Jones quickly signed the affidavit on the newspapers. Lane's making a big deal out of this. Teach that chiseler do as a lesson. George Strickland, on foot, ran past Wendell, but his eyes focused on Jones's colonial. Matthias, you know better than to block traffic. Shore Road is backed up to the town forest. Then George, I suggest you get these party crashes out of my house. I don't understand. They just started showing up. Muddy threw the skewer like a javelin onto the frozen front lawn. Hey, watch it, Muddy, yelled Strickland, jumping back. Strickland will get these clowns out of your house, Jonesy, said Coco, laughing. So you and Franny can cuddle on the couch. Funny. They've destroyed my house, ransacked my food. Lark started and he came over telling me he was suing the Bolorama. Oh, I'd like to see that one. Lawson in court against Charlie's lawyers. Jones's phone rang. Matthias Jones. Matthias, it's Kevin. I have some follow-up info for you. Really? Strickland literally pushed Bucky out the front door. More people emptied out back. Fingerprints on the side door to Washburn. One that was supposed to be locked. Mark Piera grabbed the handle clean, crisp prints. What about the storage room? Wiped clean on the other side of the doorknob. That was supposed to have been locked too. And lesser prints of Piera on the window frame in the coat room. I knew it. He dropped ten feet to Washburn. Yes, he did. Pereira's just a kid, Kevin. And you released this to the press? Yeah, after we got results of the prints. We've got all three, Mrs. McLaughlin, LaVoy, and Wander, in a safe house over in Newtown. Good. You just have to go by what you have. What about Chet? He's not rallying, but he's not slipping either. That's incredible, considering what he went through. Strickland had almost cleared out Jones's house. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Talk to you later. Jones motioned McGill with his fingers. Then he looked at Coco. Mark Pierre's prints are on the Washburn Street door, but the storage room doorknob was wiped clean, and the kid had prints on the window frame in the coat room. He turned the lights off, and somehow they came on. You have a scoop, Mr. McGill. Anything else? Jones shook his head, and McGill started back to the Enterprise building. Coco nodded his head with a quizzical question. You thinking what I'm thinking, Jonesy? Yeah, the door wasn't locked until Winky closed it and he went out to check Washburn. Yeah, then the shooter flies out of that shaft and thinks he's going out on Washburn. I assume the real killer went right out on East Crescent. 
for the EMTs and Phillips right, said Jones. Coco chuckled. 300 people and no way to find the shooter. Winky saw Pereira. Maybe he saw the shooter. Jonesy, Winky remembers a lot of stuff, but he ain't gonna remember everyone in that alley. No surveillance anywhere, asked Jones. Why, it's a bowling alley. Bucky said something important. That is a first time for everything, even with the rodent. He mentioned a hypnotist, Flambozo. You want to rely on some con man to find the shooter? Driscoll should have left town with the rest of the circus monkeys. I saw his car out front. He's around here somewhere, said Jones, panning the area. You're asking for trouble, Jonesy. Charlie knows people. Jones spotted Bucky holding one of his beers from the refrigerator as he spoke with Muddy Jacobs on the patio. Bucky! Bucky! called Jones several times. Coco stepped forward as Bucky, now back in the house, laughed at his own jokes. Hey, rodent! Bucky turned. Yeah, you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you, said Coco as he closed in on Bucky. Where's your buddy Dewars? Incognitia. Incognito, said Jones. Who's he? I know Dewars was in here, Driscoll. You tell Dewars Lane is gunning for him. Yeah, well, we'll be out of town. Sorry. About time you left town, said Coco. I wasn't around when they took him down. Dewars is going to jail. Nope, no witnesses. What the hell are you talking about? Asked Coco. You guys are talking about two different things. Huh? We're talking about watering down that yo-yo gas, you idiot. Or maybe you did it. Oh, I couldn't say. You had better say, said Coco, blocking Bucky's path. Not Arnie, it was Wally. Oh, really? And who told Walter to pour in the water? Asked Coco. Hey, I just pumped a gas. Look, Driscoll, some of the girls were asking for you at the club. Me? Yeah, stop by. I'll introduce her. Gee, thanks. What about Evelyn? Dump that Amazon. We'll take care of you. You're a swell guy. You really think so? Asked Bucky. Sure. Jones lowered his head. Yeah, he's a saint. Johnny's Back in Town, Chapter 9, Franny's House, 45 Main Street, Hamilton, New Hampshire, January 11th, 5.36 p.m. Franny carried a bulbous, stainless steel bowl filled to the top with popcorn to the sulfur. Jones had paused the movie Love Knows No Bounds on the monitor. Franny stared at him with her mouth open. What? Your house. Trashed. If I didn't know you and this town better, I wouldn't have believed it. All starting because Lark is suing the Bolorama? That's how it started. Jones reached up and grabbed a handful of popcorn. Lark won't be suing anybody. Coco had some lawyer from Charlie DePiro's office call Lark. Oh no. Scared the Larson out of him, said Jones, laughing and chewing the popcorn. Franny set the bowl down on the coffee table as Jones hit the play button. Jones's phone vibrated. Jones. Thias, this is George. Just got off the phone with Kevin. FYI, Bum and his car have literally vanished. Did he go through the ice, George? Asked Jones, sitting up. He and the car just disappeared, shouted Strickland. Fleeing the scene. That's guilt if I ever saw it. 
If he wasn't in on Chet's shooting charge, then he was just dumb and handed the key out probably to Pereira. And that's just sheer stupidity. That's what I think, said Strickland. I'm still up here by myself. Well, where's Wendell? Don't even go there, Matthias. I'll tell you later. Okay. I'm not surprised the car went through the ice, said Jones. Amazing. I'll keep you informed once Brownie Plimpton gets here with the scuba equipment. Thanks, George, said Jones, turning to Franny. Bum may have escaped by driving over the long pond ice. Bum drove on the pond? Apparently so, and now they can't find him or the car. Not many roads off of Long Pond, so he couldn't have just driven away. He probably went through that ice. Do you think Bum knew what he was doing when he handed the storage room key? Asked Franny. Frankly, probably not. Bum's not in on this. You don't mind watching a chick movie, do you, coach? Oh, this is a chick movie? Laughed Jones. Like you don't know, she said, draping her arms around him and kissed him. How many football movies have I watched? A uh, couple. Jones kissed her again and they fell against the cushions. About a half an hour later, his cell phone rang. Franny took the phone off the sofa arm and handed it to Jones. Matthias Jones. Coach, this is Bucky Driscoll. I'm at the Prince William police station. What did you do now, Bucky? Asked Jones as Franny rolled her eyes. Run a red light? Rolling Chance says he's going to lock me up. For what? Asked Jones, grabbing another handful of popcorn. Assault and battery on a police officer. Assault and battery? Wendell stomped on my foot at your party and I cold cocked him. You knocked out Wendell? Asked Jones and Franny leaned back on the sofa laughing. What do you want from me, Bucky? Money. If you want bail money, call your friend Arnie or his sister. Oh, Evelyn ain't talking to me. I'm not surprised, said Jones, cutting the call. The cell rang immediately and Jones was about to lambaste Bucky when he saw Coco's image on the icon. Coco. Jonesy, McLaughlin's dead. Jones's stomach dropped and his heart pounded. He sprang to his feet. What happened? Bomb in the plumbing system. Killed him instantly. Bosco is unconscious in the OR. I don't believe it. Sure looks like a professional job now, Jonesy. That kid didn't do the shooting, but he might have done this. Who knows? Franny held his wrist. What happened? Chet's dead. Bosco hurt bad. Bomb. There's cops and fire trucks all over the place here, Jonesy. I'll be there in a half an hour. Prince William Medical Center, Medical Plaza, Prince William, New Hampshire, January 11th, 6.30 p.m. Jones called Father Gallagher as he and Franny raced toward Prince William in her Subaru. Gallagher finished up a parish meeting before he drove to PW Medical. Jones traveled to Dolby Boulevard around the back of the medical center. Smoke still lingered near the sixth floor as the red and blue lights swirled over the building. He caught sight of Coco talking with Winky in the parking lot across the street. Winky darted toward Jones as he parked Franny's car next to the vet. As he stepped outside, Coco handed Jones a medium Big Mama's coffee, light and sweet. I just talked to Winky. He's telling me that Bosco is out of surgery. He's still out cold. Broken bones. I need to talk to Kevin Phillips. I can't believe they got to Chet. Jones sipped the coffee. Cops ain't gonna let you in there, Jonesy. 
Coco took a long drag on his cigarette. Just what happened? asked Jones. Pichico told Phillips, according to Winky, Bosco just happened to be in the room checking McLaughlin. They must have lowered plastic explosives in a drainage pipe in the room upstairs and then detonated it from somewhere else. Jones stroked his chin. Like to know where Bum was, he's missing. Bumpus, you keep telling me, Jonesy, that imbecile had something to do with blowing up the room. Is that what you're telling me? No. Bum knows more about this than he's saying, and he may know about this explosion. You're giving the idiot too much credit. Jones gripped the big mama's cup as he thought. My dad always brought it to the third level. The what? The third level. Something we're missing here. We've talked about it before. Pereira was being handled. You don't know that, said Coco. Same with the shooter. Just because he's a mechanic doesn't mean your father hired him. If Johnny hired that killer, he wouldn't have been at the ball around. Okay, smart boy. One more thing. McLaughlin was clean. Why put a hit on him? It had to be because of the x-ray. How do we know that Chet was clean? Asked Jones. Charlie had checked him. Nothing. Why did Charlie look into McLaughlin's background? Because he didn't want it coming back to the x-ray into him. Jones chucked the big mama's cup into the trash barrel. Poor Claire. Yeah, and that kid lost her old man when he was playing in a charity for kids who lost their old man. Led Cornball began interviewing people. Cornball was shorter than he appeared on TV. His aggravating voice gravitated toward Coco and Jones. He had pinpoint brown eyes and the mustache appeared drawn on by a marker. Cornball? asked Jones. What the hell's that screwball doing here? asked Coco as he lit a cigarette. A few seconds later, Cornball stuck the microphone in Jones's face. Your name, sir? Nimrod J. Nimrod, said Jones. Coco laughed and sucked on the cigarette. Do you think terrorists will strike again, Mr. Nimrod? asked Cornball. Jones gave him a double take. Where did you get that nonsense? asked Jones. You call yourself a reporter? Now wait one Prince William minute, Mr. Nimrod. This comes directly from the boss himself. Who? Herbert Lane. Hey, Walter Cronkite. A man's been killed here. Cornball turned toward Coco. Why don't you take your Captain Video Circus back to Lane's office? You're disrupting a live broadcast, sir. Get lost, Cornball. Coco looked across the lot as Uncle Dulio got out of the Beamer. Dulio walked around the car and opened the passenger side door. Rita Stefani, wearing a scarf and shawl, stepped into the parking lot. What the hell? asked Coco as they approached. Ma, what are you doing here? Rita looked down. Tell him, Rita, said Dulio. Tell me what? asked Coco. Ma, you look like some refugee coming over the border. She said she was meeting Johnny every night, said Dulio. Oh, Phillips will love that, shouted Coco. Jones felt a tightening in his gut. Came back here two weeks ago, said Dulio with Clyde. How can you meet that scum, asked Coco. Jones moved around Coco to Dulio. Were he and Clyde at the Bolorama when Chet was shot? I want to talk to Phillips, said Rita. Ma, you got to get out of town, said Coco. Cops and feds are going to be all over this. No, just approach Phillips, said Jones. Stay out of this, Jonesy. Or maybe he did hire the hitman, added Jones. I don't know, said Rita, crying. 
Why did you see him, Ma? asked Coco. Can't you understand I loved your father? asked Rita. No, Ma, I don't understand. You have to let the cops handle this, repeated Jones. Handle what? asked Officer Crimmins, his face grimy and his eyes watery. Jones looked at Coco. Moscow may not make it, said the mustache Crimmins. Wrong place at the wrong time, said Jones. Anything from the surveillance cameras? Jones again stared at Coco. Dom said there was no one seen on the second floor, yet the explosion came from the PVC pipe in the wall. Who get you anything, Crim? asked Jones. Thanks, I'm getting the guys in order. Good luck, said Jones as Crim turned. Wait, said Reader. You get on the horn to Phillips. Why is that, Mrs. Stefani? You tell him I met with Johnny Stefani. He's innocent. Whoa, said Crim, speed dialing on his phone. Kevin, I have Mrs. Stefani here. She says she met with Johnny Stefani and claims he's innocent. Right, okay. Ma, you need a lawyer, said Coco. I'm making a phone call. I don't need no lawyer, Johnny. The man is innocent, do you hear me? The lieutenant will go over your rights, Mrs. Stefani. He never shows up and then he comes back to kill McLaughlin? Asked Coco, walking over to the vet as he kicked the asphalt. An hour later, Rita was in Crim's cruiser, but she was not under arrest. Kevin Phillips walked up to Dulio and Jones. Coco sat in the vet. Mrs. Stefani needs to be in a safe place. Why? asked Dulio. We can protect her at home. From Johnny Stefani and his Vegas cronies? I don't think so. And just where is Johnny? Phillips shook his head. She says he was at the Bowl of Rammer the night of the shooting, in the restroom like Driscoll said. He told her and the other individual they left via the East Crescent Street entrance. Dulio walked across to the vet. He put his hand on Coco's shoulder and spoke to him for at least ten seconds. Coco gave a subtle nod and then walked along the vet. And he didn't fire at Chet, asked Jones. Unless she's trying to clear him, no. He said he was there to prevent what ultimately happened. Well, that's an interesting theory, said Jones, and it just may be true. To tell you the truth, I don't believe the damn word she says. If she loves him so much, why is she outing him? asked Phillips. It's a good point, Kevin, said Jones. Better keep this under wraps. Eh, don't bother. McGill has the exclusive. We want Johnny to know what she told us, probably what he told her to say. Let me know when I can talk to Claire. Right, said Phillips, pursing his lips. What's the matter, Kevin? I feel like we haven't made any progress at all. Johnny's Back in Town, Chapter 10. Franny's House, 45 Main Street, Hamilton, New Hampshire. Jones woke up on Franny's couch with Franny in her street clothes nestled against his chest. She opened her eyes. Hi, sleepyhead. Franny Wanny, he said, using Arnie's expression, and she smiled. Jones checked the kitchen clock. Ten o'clock. Woozy and I have a strategy session before we play Mac's super team. At one, I know, she said, standing. Jones rolled off the couch and stood. Claire and Wanda. She's a mess, and so is her sister. What about Jim? asked Jones, looking out the window. Father's pretty resilient. He has parishioners with her. Jones pulled back the curtain. 
You see the cleaning van at my house. Mrs. Johnson started that cleaning business when Nigel left. Speaking of which, said Franny, smiling, Wendell called earlier. I told him you were sleeping. Phil Curran was arrested and booked last night. Then I won't hear from him about being interviewed by Willard Cornball last night. I guess PJ is livid about Phil, according to Wendell, said Franny, heading for the kitchen. Coffee, coach? Well, I'm sure he is. Coffee would be great, Fran. All Cornball does is praise Herbert Lane. I heard Herbert got him the job at the station, and Wendell said Phil's meeting with his lawyers. Wendell always thinks he has the inside scoop, and if he doesn't, he makes it up, said Jones. Where are Phil Curran's lawyers? That, my dear, I don't know, she said, putting her arms around his neck. I called DeVessio's funeral home in PW. They have flowers ready to go as soon as we know the arrangements. Thanks, Fran. I think as far as Johnny Stefani, we only know the tip of the iceberg. No doubt about that. I talked to PJ last night before turning in. He's got Victor checking the airlines, private and public, for the past month. Victor is his security guy. PJ thinks Johnny hired Pereira. Johnny's too high up the food chain for any of this, said Franny. Damn right he is, Franny, said Jones, snapping his fingers. That's very much to the point. In fact, Johnny may be told Rita the truth, because if he did, there's a whole other reason why Chet was shot. It's getting dangerous, coach. PJ thinks we should take a short trip during the break just to get away from this mess. Aha! Uh -huh. My sister Maureen in Redondo Beach tells me it was 81 degrees yesterday. I wouldn't mind being in Redondo Beach at all, Franny. Jones crossed Main Street and hurried down to the Brick Police Station, hoping to see Phil Curran in jail. Strickland's blue and white SUV was parked out front. He entered the police station. Little Ned looked up from the desk. Nettie, how are you? What brings you in here, Matthias? Phil Curran. If you're going to bail him out, forget it. The money was deposited about an hour ago. Who did that? Don't know. Where's George? I'm right here, Matthias, said Strickland as he emerged from the restroom. What's the latest on the bombing, George? FBI, state fire marshal, state police all involved. Apparently the device was wedged up, not down. Room below was unoccupied. I talked to Dom no more than 15 minutes ago. Apparently you don't know. Don't know what? Pereira is on the parking lot surveillance. What about the red truck? No truck. Jones stroked his chin. Then he must have been on the surveillance video in the lower corridor. Negative, said Strickland. In fact, there was nobody there who didn't belong there. Dom says he must have used the fire escapes to get onto the roof. Being that close to the explosion is way too coincidental, said Jones. Exactly. Jones's phone rang and PJ's photo by the pool at Fletcher Hill came into view. PJ, Strickland looked up. Matthias, I want to reiterate, especially after this bombing and Chet's death, that you and Franny may not be safe. We were just talking about getting away during the break. Good. With Phil having been arrested for his antics with Wendell Harris yesterday, I want you to head up to Houghton Prep, up north. Phil Curran's last job. I want to know in detail if that recommendation given to Hamilton was valid or part of the good old boys network. Hamilton's buddy from Princeton needed a favor done for Ron Arcott of Arcott Industries in Chicago. There was no background check, nothing. Hamilton worked that way. Well, so do I. But I 
always have Victor or one of my other people check it out. Victor's busy behind the scenes with Chet McLaughlin's murder. Who does he think did it? asked Jones. Professional job like you and Coco think. Look, I don't like Phil. Nobody does. But Phil is a fundraising firecracker. I'm really not thinking of letting him go. But I just want some additional background info. Victor will be sending you an overview of Phil's time at Houghton so you can dig deeper. Franny can fly to L.A. to be with her sister in Southern California. Do you mind if I take Coco with me? That is a good idea. Talk to you later, Matthias. With his house thoroughly cleaned by Mrs. Johnson's people, Jones sat at his small desk in his living room. He opened up Victor's encrypted mail from the password given to him by PJ. 7691 at fable.com Philip J. Curran, Overview, Houghton Prep School for Girls. All departments have scholarships, multiple scholarships. Each accounts for those scholarships. Financial apparatus overseen by Philip J. Curran. Check out Possible Embezzlement by Philip J. Curran. Missing Funds, Art Department, No Record of Withdrawal. Former Detective Bud Silverstone found nothing irregular. Silverstone retired in approximately the time frame of Curran leaving Houghton. Jones leaned back in his captain's chair. Getting away from Hamilton for a few days would relax him. He looked at his father's photo on the desk. Two questions, Bill Jones. Where is Pereira and where is Johnny Stefani? Johnny would have been stopped cold if he had tried to fly or even take a bus from the area. So maybe Rita Stefani was telling the truth. Johnny never left the area. And Pereira didn't have the means to leave Prince William, so Jones and Franny hanging around the area could be deadly. Johnny's back in town. Chapter 11. Hamilton Fletcher Gymnasium, Hamilton College, Hamilton, New Hampshire, January 12, 3.28 p.m. Jones was back in the gym for the last time before he left for Houghton Prep up north. Matt Connor from St. Pat's and his wife were scheduled to have a quick dinner with Franny and Jones before the 8 p.m. game. The teams would take up the larger Colonial House expanded room. Around 3.30, as he and Woozy were going over a place before the team arrived, he took a phone call in the office. The voice was tough and to the point. Jones, I hear you keep your ear to the ground. The voice was not the same voice he heard after the shooting of his Jeep. Who is this? He asked as Woozy continued to use the chalkboard. Don't matter who this is. What matters is you answer a few questions. Oh yeah, and what's that? Asked Jones as he sat in Lark's old wobbly chair. Think the kid did it. Jones paused and wondered if he were talking to Coco's father. I think he was at the bowling alley, but I don't think he shot anyone. Not what that blowhard Lane says. He's an idiot. Jones heard a laugh. I got that impression from seeing him on TV last night. I missed it, said Jones. He dare not confront the caller, especially if it was a powerful man like Johnny Stefani. Practically convicted the kid. Fact. That's a very good point, but why was he at the alley? You'll figure it out, Jones. Let me tell you this. We know about the elevator shaft now. We didn't know that at the time. Jones wanted to ask him if he shot Chet, but he also wanted to keep talking to him, so he became vague. Who shot through the opening in the shoe rack? asked Jones. Not important. Sure it is. The horse is out of the barn, Jones. What about the bomb? We'll know soon enough. You see this number. It's a Massachusetts number. Yeah, south of Boston. 
You see this number on your cell, you answer right away. It could be a matter of life and death. I understand. I like you. You didn't act stupid or ask stupid questions. I'm out of here. The line clicked. Now Jones wondered if he should call Coco or even Phillips. Decisions such as that would have to wait till after the game. Mac had one great team. Jones was not bothered he was going to lose this game by more than 20 points. His slowly developed side road theory about Phil Curran made him sick. Was Phil Curran a clever embezzler? As the game ended, he knew the boys had performed well and played as hard as they could against St. Pat's. He talked to them for a few minutes, then told them he would see them at the Colonial House. His old buddy Mac, his brows a little bushier and slightly gray, gave him the you-gave-it-all look. You guys look good, McMack, no doubt about that. Well, we're having a good year. Say, that was awful about that shooting and then the bomb. Chet's family is devastated. Jones was still consumed by the anonymous phone call this afternoon. Lane, the district attorney, says they know who did it. Mac, Herbert Lane, would convict the neighborhood dog if he could get away with it. Mac chuckled and backslapped Jones's arm. Who do you think did it? The kid is running because he may act tough, but he's scared. I think it was a professional job, I just don't know why. Up here in the sticks? asked Mac. For some reason, and my contacts won't tell me, Chet's shooting and the bomb goes deeper than the Prince William area. Jones looked around the gym to where Wanda always sat with their friends. Let's shower up, Mac. I'm sure Franny and Sylvia are starved. How the hell with them I haven't eaten since this morning? Jones had just walked into the Colonial House with Mac. Franny, sitting with the gray-haired Sylvia, Mac's wife, waved from the rear booth. Jones moved forward with Mac to the two teams in the side room. This place looks like a pig pen, shouted Mac. That's no way to represent your schools. Clean it up. Jones nodded at Mac and the two retreated to the front room. Guess you told him, McMack. You should have seen the damn bus after the Collins game. Arnie Dewar's aggravating voice boomed across the other room through the restaurant chatter. Yeah, so Bach couldn't even stand up without swaying side to side. What did he do, Arnie? Asked Bose, who was still dressed as if he were installing pavers for the patio boys. Gave him some more Jack Daniels, said Arnie. Locke hadn't been so tipsy, he would have been shot. I saved his life. Jones winced. Is it true what they say about you and the anniversary not May 3rd, 2003? I'm the one who got on the trampoline, Bose, yelled Arnie. You saw it, buddy. Lester didn't have the guts. Mac and Jones both stepped to the rear booth. Good evening, ladies, said Mac, looking over the shoulder at Arnie. Now we can have a little peace and quiet. Arnie produced his honking laugh. <laughs> Don't count on it, Mac, said Jones. At least Bucky isn't here. Lark is always good with his spaghetti dinners, said Franny. Guess what Maureen is having when I land in L.A.? Spaghetti, said Jones, laughing. She pointed both index fingers at him. Then she kissed his cheek. Hey! Hey, you cowboys, what's shaking? Shouted Bucky as he approached Arnie's table in the other room. He gave Bose the high five. Bucky, it's bad luck. You mention his name and bad things happen. 
Well, Mac, congratulations are in order, said Franny. You have a great team this year. A little yang, a little yang, said Mac. If I want Chinese, I'll go down to the Zen Garden in Prince William, said Jones as his phone rang. Coco's picture came on the screen. Coco, excuse me. I'll order for you, Matthias, said Franny. She knows what I like, said Jones, extricating himself from the booth. Well, let's not get personal, said Mac, and Sylvia smiled and pushed Mac's arm. Coco, said Jones as he slid along the back wall. I think your father called me. Jonesy, you left me a damn voicemail that's three minutes long. I ain't got time to be listening to the golden years of radio. Tell me he didn't have anything to do with the bomb or the shooting. Yeah, that's what you said. Why would he call you? Whatever. Johnny's to the point. Maybe it was Clyde. What time are we leaving for Moose Mills? Seven. Bring Franny to the Manchester airport and then head north. Ralphie's double-checked the vet. I think the state inspectors will be visiting Mr. Dewars real soon. And my lawyer is after him. I'll be over at seven, bro. I'll talk to you. Coco, wait. Jonesy, I got things to do. What things? Hey, I don't pry into your love life. Look, Coco, something's wrong with the money missing from the art department at that school where Phil worked. PJ's guy Victor sent me an email. Fine. We'll check it when we get up there, Jonesy. Send fabulous Phil Packett. Time's up, Jonesy. I got business. He's involved with that art department because he controlled the cash and the scholarships. Well, la di da said Coco as Arnie began laughing again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Doers? Yeah. Like I said, Carter's sending people from the state to check the gas. I guess PJ made a few more calls. Get off the line before I put Rosie in on the horn, Jonesy. I think you're taking this current thing way too lightly, Coco. A soft whisper voice came on the line. Hi, Jonesy. Silky says hello. Sweet dreams. The line went off. And what's Mr. Stefani up to, coach? Asked Franny. Franny, this is a family program. Episode three has humor and the long march to finding out who shot Chet McLaughlin nudges forward. Chet McLaughlin is finished off in a bomb explosion. As Coco's mother, Rita, arrives at the hospital parking lot, she announces she's been with Johnny for two weeks and now Jones is being threatened by a low-sounding voice on the phone. Jones finally gets to work in a game against his old pal Matt Connor's team from St. Pat's. Jones learns from PJ's security guy that Phil Curran, the current dean at Hamilton College, was stuffing cash away at his last job at Houghton Prep. I'm Robert P. Fitton, wondering why Chet McLaughlin was killed. I'll be back next time for our last episode on Johnny's Back in Town. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.